All right. So uh, welcome to another episode uh Beer Fish Fanatics. This is Granny of My Pop Fishing. I have Mr. Kit with the Fishing Kit YouTube channel. There you go. And this week we have a special guest, uh gentleman. Uh, in, I actually got a chance to listen to his podcast. I was just talking to him right, right before we jumped on here. Uh, he actually did a podcast with uh, Jeff that we had recently and, uh, and Ross on the Iowa DNR report. So uh, their podcast, which was really cool. So we decided, you know what, we got to ride their coattails and get this guy because his information, uh, knowledge and that brain of his, we're going to pick today. So um, nope, no introduction to actually really needed though. We got Mr. Robbie. Is it Weaver or Weber? I want to make sure I get that one right. Yeah, it's it's Weber. Weber like oh, the grill. So I told you. I so, told you. So I guess I owe fishing kit a drink because I was like, <laughs> no, nah, it's Weber. And he was like, no, nah, it's Weber. So all right, I, I owe him a beer. So we got uh Robbie Weber and he works for the SUNY or ESF, correct? Yep, you got it. Awesome. Um, and he he actually was here at uh I, I went to Iowa State, obvious uh, also, but uh he was a grad student at Iowa State before and uh, we're gonna ask him a little bit more in regards to what he did with you know Iowa State. We we really wanted to learn a little bit more what he did there, uh and did what he's doing now and um all that good stuff because this guy, I'm telling you guys, he knows a lot about muskies walleyes all that good stuff so i'm pretty sure a lot of those uh musky heads are probably listening and watching hopefully and they can pick a thing or two so thank you for joining us robbie appreciate it sir yeah thanks for having me on guys it's gonna be fun welcome cool. welcome so thank you very much we all start with the beer um this week uh i am drinking a beer from big grove brewery so i'm drinking the uh it's called the birch the bear uh i don't know why i made that accent all of a sudden but uh it's it's american brown ale uh i'm gonna try this uh big grove brewery i think it's um it's in iowa city i think i drove by there before when i went to an iowa game before so uh what are you drinking today kit um i got one courtesy of bruno i got one left from uh his brewery up at carroll it's uh carroll Brew brewing company yep Is that right yep yep yeah yeah carroll brewing company sorry oh my god goodness struggling oh. <laughs> how many beers are you in man how many beers are you in kit <laughs> just one just one i swear but uh, it's a carol light it's it's your equivalent of like a light lager your yes. blood light bush light coors light things like that yeah so i i didn't get a chance to get a carol beer because um i decided to drink extra on the side so uh <laughs> fyi on that what are you drinking what are you drinking today robbie I have a beer from out here in New York. So my uh, my truck's in the shop. I was going to go get a nice sixer to have for this, but uh, I have a couple beers in the fridge. I'm drinking the Saranac Permafrost IPA. Oh. It's a, uh, a local brewery out here. We got a ton of beer in New York, and I'm kind of just getting into it all, but Saranac makes a good variety holiday pack with some IPAs in it I like. So Man, I'm going to try that bottle. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's high class. So, so the people who are listening on the podcast, he has this uh, bottle opener that is um, pretty badass. It's a uh, fish. Is that that's a bass, right? Bass. Yeah, fish. I think it's a, I think it's a largemouth. I'm not large totally mouth. sure. Bottle but. opener. It's pretty. It's it's better than uh, I think we. I think fishing kid and myself. We did an episode maybe about twenty episodes ago where one of my buddies didn't give me a damn bottle opener and then kid dropped his beer in his room when he was doing a bottle opener. We got to get one of those. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Um, so if anybody's wondering, this brown ale is actually really good. Um, I think it's perfect for as it's getting into fall, almost winter. Uh, I tend to go towards a darker beers, um, a little bit heavier. It's almost like a meal in a cup, I guess you can say so. Nice and filling. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. All right, man, let's let's jump into it. Um Tell us. So, okay. If you don't mind, if you want to give us, I guess you can say your background a little bit in regards to how you got into the world of, of fishing and the world of, you know, department of natural resources, all that stuff. How, how did it all begin quickly? If you don't mind, I know, I know you're from Kansas. I know you kind of started down there. Uh, you did grad school up here at Iowa state and then you just kept going up North, 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 and all the way up to New York. So, I mean, if you don't mind, how, how did, how did you all get into this world? I guess you can say. Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, good question to start out with for sure. So, uh, man, I guess I really fell in love with fish at a pretty young age. It all started with just a fish obsession um, and a lot of fishing growing up. And uh, I don't know, by the time I got to high school, I knew I was pretty interested in science. People always said, you know, if if you have something you love and you can turn it into a career, then you're uh, you're going to live a good life. And so 
I'm happy to be in fisheries. I, I started at Kansas State in the Division of Biology, um, working on getting my degree in fisheries biology there. Did some undergrad research on some of the little streams nearby, some of the prairie streams in the minnow community, but got exposed to a bunch of different sampling methods and working with folks in Kansas. And uh, by the time I graduated, I knew I, you know, in, in fisheries and wildlife, uh, a graduate degree really helps you get some of those higher level preferred positions um, and allow you to, to work in cool areas and work with cool species. So after getting my bachelor's, I started looking around the Midwest for a master's position. Um, my parents are in Kansas City, so I kind of wanted to stay relatively close to home. Yeah, an opportunity presented itself at Iowa State. So I graduated with my bachelor's in May of 2016 and then started in Iowa in July. Yeah, and I worked with Dr. Michael Weber. Uh, we have the same last name, no relation, <laughs> but uh, we, we have a couple papers out now that are Weber and Weber, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I started there July 2016, and uh, I got hired on to work on a walleye and muskie escapement project on a couple of reservoirs in central Iowa. So yeah, and then I guess I could talk about New York a little bit later, but uh, yeah, I'm still just working in fisheries and loving every moment of it. I kind of want to talk about how, how I first met you. It was a, I posted something on Facebook, like some pictures of me with fish. Oh, and, yeah. You know, it was a kind of a discreet picture. You can't really tell what's going on in the background. But then you, I think you either messaged me or commented. And you're like, hey, is that is that Big Creek? I was like, whoa. Then I, I was like, man, this guy, he really knows Big Creek. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, man, dude, you're good. And then after finding out about what you do, I was like, ah, oh, makes so much dang sense now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there's a couple of musky guys I know that fish brushy a lot and I can, I can read their backgrounds pretty well. Like I'll go and circle a piece on the shoreline on a map and be like, is this where you were? And I, I'm, you know, I'm not right all the time, but I'm, uh, I'm usually pretty darn close. I've, uh, I spent a lot of time on those lakes. That's for sure. So we're in so, central. Yeah. We're in central Iowa. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of cool that, you know, Kit actually told me, he actually told me about you that we got to get this guy on probably when we first started this, huh, Kit? Yeah, I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, my buddy, Robbie, he works for, well, at the time you were still, you were still working on your masters. And I was like, man, we got to get him on. Why not? I mean, have a guy with, with your knowledge. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm happy to come on, man. Happy to do it. How long have you guys been doing the podcast? Since May, I think. Oh, okay. April, yeah, so yeah, I, just I, yeah, I'd have been working on wrapping up my master's then. So, yeah. So what what's the what was the journey? What's the process behind getting your master's once you got your, what, what was it, your bachelor's? Yep. Yeah. So in, uh, at least in fisheries, you know, there's, there's master's in all sorts of different fields of study, different degrees. But um, in fisheries and wildlife and a lot of the sciences, a master's in type, like uh, it entails writing a thesis. So uh, basically the majority of my time at Iowa State, I was collecting data and organizing that data and kind of fine tuning, I guess, my analyses and really like what results I was going to present. So I got hired on to work on a specific project, which is Big Creek and Brushy Creek, walleye and muskie escapement, behavior, habitat use, stuff like that. You know, it's, it's kind of broad. And so I knew I was going to be doing radio telemetry, but what data I collected exactly and what... Um, results and conclusions I was going to try to come to was a little bit it was a decision that I, I kind of had to come up with myself obviously I tossed it back and forth with my advisor because we don't want me doing terrible research you know but uh <laughs> but uh so yeah you know you kind of design your research project figure out your methodology uh, what data you're going to collect and what you're going to try to prove and after your data is all collected you know you write your thesis you have individual chapters presenting different pieces of your research um, and have it all in this cohesive document with a big general and general or wow, sorry, a big <laughs> general introduction, just with some background info about reservoirs and walleye and muskies, and then get into your individual chapters and wrap it all up at the end. You know, what's this mean? How can this be used to improve our fisheries here in Iowa? What's it mean on a more holistic scale for, you know, reservoir management in the Midwest or across the United States? Yeah, and then you have to defend your thesis, which you present it to a, a crowd. Um, I did that. Uh, yeah, that's the most intimidating wow. part. I did it virtually, so it wasn't so bad. Right. Um, and yeah, I did that in July. And then you work on getting your individual chapters and stuff published. But once your thesis is defended and you do your revisions, you're basically good. 
So yeah, I got my got my degree in the mail like three weeks ago. So that was a pretty pretty cool deal. Congrats, man! Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, That's thank awesome. Thank you very much. And then yeah, congrats. I know you you spoke a little bit about this on, on the other podcast on the IODNR, but okay, explain to an idiot like myself what the hell is radio tele tele telemetry. Tele okay, I can't even say it. Telemetry. Telemetry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you got it. Right. Okay, there we go. So, can you explain that and how? I guess yeah, just explain that and what you did with that. I guess uh, in the Iowa here in Iowa at, at Big Creek and, and Brushy. Okay. Yeah, I'll try to do that. Um, yeah, and if, if you want to stop me or have any nitpicky questions as I'm going along, just feel free. So radio telemetry is obviously a, a method of um, collecting behavioral data on different animals. Um, so depending on your species you're working with, you know, they make radio collars or like external tags you can attach to animals. But for fish, I guess there are external tags people use. Mine were implanted internally. Uh, so these tags are, you know, depending on the size of the fish, um, anywhere from like a small coin battery up to like a size C battery. So, you know, a, de a decent sized tag and they have a wire coming out of them called the whip antenna. And so these tags are putting out like a pulse signal every three to five seconds. Basically what I did is I went around the lake in a boat uh, during the open water season or on the ice, just walking around. Speaking huh? of that, um, before you continue, yeah, go ahead. I, re I remember uh, ice fishing out at Big Creek and seeing, I think this was before I met you, and seeing like two guys just walking around with radio antennas. And I'm guessing one of those guys was you. I'm sure that was me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That would have been me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's kind of a funny looking deal. I get a lot of jokes to people, you know, like, oh, what are you watching or what are you listening to and whatnot. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. It's funny. But yeah, I'm basically just out there in the boat or walking around. I have a, uh, an antenna. It's called a, a Yagi, kind of a funny name, but uh, a Yagi. And then I have my uh, radio receiver, which scans through a set of tag frequencies, which you manually input. And so each fish has its own individual frequency. And you basically go throughout the lake looking for those tags, listening for beeps. When you're not hearing beeps, you're just hearing a whole lot of static. So that's not much fun. So it's it's better to find fish. When you hear a fish, you can use the antenna and your receiver to, to get pretty darn close. I'd say within five meters pretty accurately. And so what I would do is locate these fish and then take data regarding the habitat these fish were using. So stuff like water depth, water temperature, substrate type, vegetation, whether or not they were associated with any coarse woody habitat information like that. Um, and then tracking these fish on a regular basis allows you to, to monitor their movement and determine how much they're moving. Um, so you can determine whether they're moving a lot in the spring and hardly moving during the summer, um, how much they're moving on a weekly basis based on those locations too. So it really provides some good information about fish behavior. And that provided a lot of valuable information in in terms of the broader scope of the project, which was focused on escapement of these fish. So you would be a professional fish finder for us. <laughs> we get... I, uh, you know, I, I, I could probably help you find them. I, uh, man, I've spent so much time on so many, like so much time on those lakes tracking fish. I, I still can't catch walleye at Big Creek or Brushy Creek. What? <laughs> and I, I can't catch muskies at either. I mean, it, it's, it's it's pretty ridiculous. You'd think I'd be able to catch walleye because there's so many in there, but I struggle, man. Maybe, I struggle. Maybe it's because you know too much information. Yeah, I'm probably thinking about it too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So with the um with the tracking, did you notice like any patterns throughout the year, like during different seasons and whatnot? Yeah, there's uh there's definitely some pretty strong patterns to fish movement. Some of the some of the broader conclusions, I guess. You know, both muskies and walleyes are spring spawners. They spawn when water temps are in that, you know, 45 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit range. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my data showed that those fish really did exhibit pretty long range movements during the spring, um, while movements tended to be more limited in the summer. Uh, and then there were some pretty extensive movements in the fall, too, when those fish are moving towards wintering habitats and stuff like that. But in general, walleye and muskies in our 
small reservoirs in central Iowa move a lot. You know, I mean, these fish, these fish are riverine. They are highly mobile and our systems aren't very big. So these fish will move, you know, 200 kilometers in a river. So what are they going to do in a, a thousand acre reservoir? Uh, they're going to just run laps, you know, but no, there's, there's definitely some seasonal trends to it. Um, a lot of movement in the spring, a lot of fish located near spillways on rocky substrate in the spring, especially for walleye. Uh, and the muskies in, I don't want to spoil too much. The muskies in Big <laughs> Creek during the summer are, are pretty concentrated, man. At least based on the fish that I had tagged, those fish stack up in a few select places. So if you were you can to let us know offline, yeah, we'll, we'll do offline. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't put that out. I can't I can't put that spot on blast like that no way no way but yeah it, uh, it's pretty nuts and I mean I've tried fishing the spots I still can't catch them so yeah. maybe you guys yeah. can <laughs> we you know what I, both of us have never caught a muskie so I have it and I know he he's he snagged one but oh, yeah I caught an accidental I saw that that was yeah. that was clear lake right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it was. I saw that video that's cool yeah so I uh I got one muskie last year it was on a ned rig so Oh. figure yeah right <laughs> exactly you'd be surprised what a ned rig could catch that's true very true Probably, i mean yeah. during, i guess you could say like like was there any characteristics of uh uh of the walleyes that surprised you when you did your study there i mean that that you're just like holy crap like i didn't know the walleyes did this or or came over here or you know what i mean like was there anything that just like was just out of the blue like you really learned something about the walleyes yeah, I mean, because these fish have individual tag numbers and stuff, you can kind of, when I'm out there once a week for several years, you know, these fish almost have a bit of a personality in my mind. Like I, yeah. I learn tag numbers, I kind of learn a fish and uh, those big females in Big Creek, I guess in Brushy Creek too, they move a ton. The, the big mamas move a lot. But even within a population of fish, in a little reservoir, you'll have fish that are highly mobile and fish that hardly move at all to the point where, you know, the, the tags are in the water. So if a fish doesn't move for a few weeks, I start to wonder if they're dead or not. You know, you, you can't really say for sure unless you can recover that tag. But uh, I've had fish sit still for, you know, a month and a half, two months and not, not, not totally still, but, but not do a whole lot of moving. And as soon as I start thinking they're dead, they take off. So, um, yeah, it's pretty weird. Fish, fish behavior is, uh, you know, telemetry provides some insight into it, but there's a lot going on there that I think, uh, is, is tough stuff to understand. One thing I thought was really interesting at Big Creek is some of those walleyes would go way, way up North, like North of the silt dams. Man, those are shallow. Yeah. I mean, super it, shallow, super shallow. That's like, I could hardly get my boat in there foot, foot and a half of water. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, there were 25 plus inch females up in a foot and a half, two foot of water during certain times of the year. Wow. So that was surprising. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of the fish movement to certain areas seems to coincide with flow. So you get mm. you get good water temperatures, you get some moving water. And I think in Big Creek, they kind of follow the shad a lot too. So um, the shad really like... I mean, they're, they're, they're lake wide, but the shad kind of tend towards flow too. that north end up by the silt dams can be packed with them certain times of the year and the wall I tend to follow. So, so when you're talking about tagging fish, like every fish that you're tracking, like you handled and put the tag in and then release back in the water. And, yeah. and how many fish are we talking here? Like at a, at a given moment during your study? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So every, every fish with a tag is a fish that I put a tag in. Over the course of the study, I radio tagged, I want to say 16 muskies at Big Creek. And this is adults. I did juvenile work too. Um, we can talk about that later. But in terms of adults, I radio tagged 16 adult muskies at Big Creek and then like 25 at Brushy. And then I think about 42 or 43 walleye in each lake too. Jeez. So. So quite a few. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of fish surgeries. Those usually took place in the spring. Um, I'd let the DNR, the DNR collect the fish for me, you know, <laughs> they, they'd shock, they'd net, they'd bring in big, healthy fish and I'd do the surgeries and set them free. So yeah, quite oh. a, quite a few fish. I'd be tracking, you know, 
30 to 40 fish on a weekly basis at each lake. Yeah. Is there anyone who still does this um, since you've been gone that has been doing this or how often do they do it at all or if they even do it anymore still? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, so the radio tags have a battery life. Most of the tags I put out are dead or dying quickly. But there's actually an open position for a mass, or it's a PhD actually, uh, to work on the systems to evaluate the effectiveness of the barrier at Brushy Creek, which just got put in. So it's uh, it's an extension of the research I was working on. They're hiring a PhD, and they're actually going to be doing acoustic telemetry, which is a little bit different than radio telemetry. Yeah, you actually put out stationary receivers, and they do a lot of the tracking for you. So there won't be anyone out there cruising around with an antenna on a boat there's there's these receivers and you you drop them in the lake you kind of figure out your grid system um and as the fish cruise by them they just detect the fish for you you go out there you pull them up you download the data and there you go that's yeah super, super high tech all of a man that's crazy it, it's very sophisticated stuff but it's uh it's really cool technology that has the potential to provide a ton of good information there you go kit Apply for it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm too dumb. <laughs> so what, what was the part that you enjoyed most about like tagging and tracking the fish? Just like actually handling the fish and seeing big fish come in or like, oh, I don't think there's a fish over here. Then, oh, surprise, there is a fish over here. Man, there's a, the part I enjoy the most is that's, that's a tough question. There were a lot of parts I enjoyed and, and several parts I didn't enjoy too. Uh, <laughs> I guess the parts I enjoyed the most were definitely handling big fish, you know, shocking and gill netting in the spring. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Some of the walleye and muskies in our central Iowa lakes. I mean, it's, it's stupid. It's crazy. You, you would never know it if you didn't see these fish come in in nets and in shocking boats. Um, so yeah, you know, seeing, I think the biggest muskie I saw at big Creek was like a 48 incher, but then I saw a couple of fifties at brushy. Um, and then, you know, 28 to 30 inch walleye, 11 to 13 pound fish. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, it's crazy. And the numbers of walleye in Big Creek is crazy too. You know, we go shock, we would do 15 minute shocking runs. And in 15 minutes of shocking, we could net 40 or 50 walleye. Wow. Yeah. And that's just, and that's just cruising the shoreline at night. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. We're going to get a lot of people said, bullshit. because <laughs> well, I mean, you, you know how it is it's always been it's the dead sea i guess you know everybody all says but it's crazy like you're saying though we've seen the we've seen the dnr pictures i mean it's it's not fake but i think um the biggest thing is that there's a reason why they got that big is because they're not the fish they're not easily caught <laughs> you know oh, what i mean no. right yeah it, it seems like those real big ones especially you know you'll you can catch them certain times of the year during the spring's good but and during the fall is good too, but man, those, those big fish are hard to come by. Definitely. So yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. The telemetry was fun too. When the weather was nice, when the, when the weather sucked, it wasn't so much fun, but I mean, that's, that's Iowa for you, I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, overall it was, it was a really good time. I mean, right, I just... So what, what was the worst part then? The worst part? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> well, uh, Probably some of those cold nights on the water, not going to lie to you, like tracking into early December, that that sucked. Um, you know, ha- having to cruise the whole lake, tracking when the temperature's at freezing or so, you know, you got ice on the boat, you're cold, it's probably windy because it's Iowa. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that wasn't much fun. Tracking on the ice, I typically enjoyed though, you know, I'd I'd track, and when I got done tracking, I'd go back to my car, grab my ice fish and stuff, and fish for a couple hours. So can't can't really complain about that. Yeah, I think uh, I think those cold nights on the water were probably my least favorite part of the deal. So ice season's coming up here. I'm just uh, so I get limited timing when I get to go fish because I got obligations in regards to oh, yeah. little kids, rugrats. Oh, um, so I need you to kind of put me in the right direction but any recommendations uh, uh up in big creek because you know it's, it's near us central iowa um i definitely want to hit brushy i don't think i've ever ice fished there so i, I definitely want to try there but 
uh, hopefully I get a chance this year. Is there any uh, advice you would you would give a person going after walleyes or even muskies? I mean, I don't think you can catch muskies. I don't know. I've never seen catch a muskie through the ice. I think it's very rare, but it happens. Yeah. It, it it happens at Brushy Creek. You know, okay. when I was in Iowa, I heard about it once or twice a year. It seemed like there'd be a guy crappie fishing and he'd end up catching a muskie through the ice. I don't know if I ever heard about it at Big Creek, though. But I would say, man, in terms of advice for Big Creek, that's tough because I'm not very good at fishing that lake. You know, <laughs> I've done OK there a few times, but never really done that well on the ice. I've caught some crappies and a couple of small walleye, but um I guess based on my telemetry stuff and and just like general movement trends that have been uh, determined in the past, I would say stick to the south end. Probably you want to find rocks, you want to find steep drop offs. Um, those fish are probably going to be in pretty deep water, uh, but I've I've also found them on some you know ten to fifteen foot flat areas mid lake during the winter. There have been a couple times where those fish have been very very congregated mid lake and in, in some some 10 to 15 foot flat areas. So, you know, I think the fish just follow the shad. If you can find the shad, there's, there's probably fish around getting them to bite. It's a whole different story. I mean, there's, there's so many walleye in that system that anywhere with some structure adjacent to deep water is kind of, I mean, it's not a bad bet for those fish, but yeah, Brett, you should get out to Brushy Creek. Brushy Creek's a good system. I don't, I don't know what you like to target, but the pan fishing out there is really good. Me. I love, I love, yeah. I love crappies and everything too. So walleye and walleye. Yeah. <laughs> can't, can't go wrong with walleye, man. <laughs> yeah, you can you can get on them at Brushy, but I I've heard it's a really limited window. You got to do it bright and early in the morning or at night, basically. Mm. Yeah, that might work. I've I've ice fished Brushy once, and I think the biggest fish I caught was like smaller than my hand. That was between perch and crappie. Like every fish, at least for me. I mean, this was, I want to say, right when I first started ice fishing, maybe like four years ago, five years ago, like all I found was small fish, but that's, you know, just my experience, but I know people have done pretty good out there. Yeah. I, uh, it was one of my favorite spots. I don't know if I got out there last winter at all, but the winter before I, I spent a fair bit of time out there. I would even go up in the North end past one of the bridges, um, up in some pretty shallow water in like a 10 to 12 foot Creek channel. And I I got on decent bluegills and stuff, you know, they're, if I'm catching fish, I can't really complain. Um, and there were a lot of eater bluegills up there, but I also got into a couple of tanker perch, like 11, 11 and a half inches up there. So yeah, I mean, not, there were a lot more small perch, but there were a few (laughs) eaters. So yeah. Small perch up in clear Lake. (laughs) Oh, right. man, that place is something else. Yeah, right now the small perch. I mean, they're, they, they, they're slowly getting bigger, right, Kit? The I perch. think the average is like slowly getting bigger. Yeah, because we, we were there when we when, when he caught the um, – because I, I, I went to go visit them um, the day after when, they, when he caught that muskie, and we caught nothing but perch the next day all – I think I caught like 50 each, easy. Minimum. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but I would say uh, uh, about 90 – eight percent of them were about mm, what maybe seven inch eight inches only cigars six five to six i think was the average yeah but that was better than like when we were fishing through the ice oh ice ice was bad last year man yeah like they were like like under five yeah Yeah, yeah it was like what the you you wouldn't even your lure was bigger than what you caught that's how bad it was at, at moments there but um it's slowly getting there in regards to that perch up there in clear lake so hopefully give them maybe another year or two i think it'll be be good eater size hopefully maybe two maybe yeah two. yeah yeah what's your thoughts on that like the future like in the next let's say two years two or three years up up in that area uh, but like clear lake as far as the perch are concerned and yellow bass because we love those two. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I know that the, uh, I know that that big age class of yellow bass that was popping like two or three years ago, those 10 to 12 inches, I think they're, I think they're about fished out. I'm not sure about that. I, I don't know if you guys have been up there fishing, catching a lot of big ones or not, but my experience on the ice last year was a lot of small yellow bass. Mm-hmm. Mi- I mean, mixed in with the perch, obviously yeah. you caught 10 or 15 perch to each yellow bass probably but um, yeah but there were some small yellow bass mixed in too 
Yeah, I don't I don't know if those perch will really stunt out or not. You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of them in there. I think there's plenty of food as well. So I don't really I don't really think they're gonna stun out. I, I bet here in a couple of years it's gonna be a, a banner year for perch fishing on that lake, definitely. Good. Kind of kind of like yeah, a, good. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel like the the perch and the yellow bass will kind of like rotate, like have a cycle. Like one year will be good for yellow bass. And then the next year I'll be yellow perch. Is that, is that reasonable? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I, uh, I don't know about that one, man. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really not sure. I don't know a whole lot about yellow bass, but, uh, I mean, as, as long as you have consistent reproduction and those fish aren't getting stunted out. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to kind of come in waves. You'll have a, a real nice, a real nice bunch of fish every few years as they're growing to those harvestable sizes. And, uh, I'm sure people on the ice are going to be keeping a bunch for sure. So um, yeah, things are going to fluctuate for sure, but yeah. hopefully, hopefully it gets better in regards to that. Yeah. I, I think I had one of my worst years up there last year, ice in regards to yellow bass and stuff. I just didn't catch that many. Like you were saying, it was all, I barely caught that many that were good size. It just felt like versus like maybe about three years. I think right. About three or four years ago, man, it was banner year after banner year for a while there for us. Yeah. Yeah. Three years ago, I think was my first real winter ice fish in Clear Lake. And those yellows were really nice and plentiful. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you you could stay on them, man, it was crazy. It was an absolute blast. We remember, I mean, my brother-in-laws, they came here just, I mean, from Denver, they drove here 10 hours just for that. Just, just furious. Yeah. They did it like two, I think two or three years in a row, huh, Kit? Yeah. I think, yeah, they they did it for like at least two seasons, like a few years ago coming out for the bonanza or just coming out to nope. fish them just, just coming out to fish <laughs> yeah it was i mean they're they're fun man they uh yeah they, i mean they school big time so if you find one you usually find a bunch and if you if they're hungry then uh it's a, a steady hot bite and they fight hard it's awesome tell us a little bit more now but what you're doing now because i know so after you got done with um everything here at iowa i know you're up there in the northeast now in, in new york um, what are you doing up there, man? Like, tell us a little bit about your, you know, your current, current job and just what you're doing and, uh, what kind of fish you're, I, I saw your Facebook pictures. Pretty cool. Oh yeah. Um, stuff. You, you can talk about it, but it, I mean, yeah. What kind of fish are you, you're going after and just what you're doing up there, man? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, after I, uh, I guess even before I finished my master's, I was interviewing for a job up here. I know a couple people in Iowa who are actually from New York. And so they told me about this position and I've heard all kinds of stories about how great New York is. And so I I had to apply, uh, got the interview, things went well, uh, got offered the position. And so I I actually accepted the position before I wrapped up my master's, moved out here in August and I had to quarantine for two weeks because of the pandemic, but I got to quarantine at a marina uh, on (laughs) on Lake Ontario nice so that wasn't so bad (laughs) did a little bit of fishing there definitely yeah so the position i have up here now is uh, i'm a senior research support specialist it's kind of a sophisticated name i'm basically a a lab manager for a fisheries research lab at suny esf which is a a small college that's adjacent to syracuse university in uh in syracuse and so i help coordinate i hope help coordinate research and lab work and make sure things are running smoothly for this lab we operate out of a biological station called the thousand islands biological station uh, which is up near clayton new york it's on a little island um, which is fun so i get to to live on an island from you know late april ish uh through october so i just moved back to syracuse like a week and a half ago kind of missing the island life but it's it was cold up there when I moved off. We were starting to get uh, some nasty weather, some freezing temperatures and stuff. And then we got another warm spell. So I kind of wish I was up there. Yeah, so I work in this fisheries research lab. We do a lot of research on uh, musky, walleye, and northern pike reproduction. So um, there's a lot of restoration efforts in wetlands. Um, so uh, like channel excavations and uh, installation of spawning pools for these fish. So after these restoration efforts are conducted, we go back and evaluate these restorations, determine if they're working. Um, and that involves a lot of sampling as well as just um, going out and checking these areas, making sure things look okay, make sure that these restorations are functioning as they should. We do some round goby research. So the round goby uh, is another Great Lakes invader. Um, add it to the list. They've been here, 
man, 15, 20 years. I'm not totally sure. The smallmouth fishermen love them because the smallmouth love them. So there's a lot of a lot of footballs up here, a lot of really nice smallies. But uh, these round gobies carry a virus, which is called viral hemorrhagic septicemia, uh, and it's detrimental to other fish species, uh, particularly muskies. So these gobies got in, the muskie populations kind of tanked, uh, and the muskie fishery up here is huge. I mean, world renowned, just monster fish. You know, you get you get sixty inches. Like, wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think last year the lab sampled one that was like 57, which is just insane. You know, I've seen a couple fifties and a fifties insane. I can't imagine a fish that's five foot long. Like it's just, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Ooh, that's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. So, uh, so there's a lot of research in the lab going on, um, evaluating these round gobies, their reproduction, um, diets, like some mercury analysis on those, uh, but then we're also we also do a lot of sampling uh, for muskies. So hopefully next year we can collect a few breeding pairs and actually spawn them. So we have some raceways and stuff on the island. So we can actually, ideally, if we can get the adults that we need, we can propagate our own muskies and pike and stock them into the system uh, to help bolster uh, restoration efforts on the river. But we do a lot of sampling just of like the nearshore fish, fish community. Um, evaluating everything we see in our nets we don't do any shocking up here which is a little different to me but we do a lot of netting so um we still handle a ton of fish uh really when i got up here we were just working on seining for muskies some young a year like natural reproduction fish so they were six to eight inches and we were trying to get some pit tags in them which i'm sure you guys are familiar with from big creek and brushy creek yeah, we're pit tagging those fish, and then hopefully next year or in coming years, we can recapture them to get some information about survival, growth, uh, site fidelity, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's there's a ton going on up here. Um, it's a really complicated system, a really important system, and uh, yeah, the lab I'm working in is doing a lot of cool research, so I'm having a really good time. And because there's a lot of cool fisheries up here, I get to do a lot of cool fishing too, which is fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not too bad. Although I, I am going to say this, I do miss the big bluegills in Iowa. Oh, wow. I miss them. I haven't been able to find them out here yet. And those things are an absolute blast. I, uh, I like fly fishing a lot. So they're a uh, they were a lot of fun on the fly rod, but we do have a lot of salmonids out here, which I never got to target. So I've caught some some Chinook salmon since I got out here. Uh, biggest one was 45 inches. So that was, and that was on the fly rod. So that was, oh, the, man. oh dude, it was nuts. It was crazy. I, I actually hooked up, I think eight times before I got one to the net because they just, they just fight like crazy. Caught my first steelhead a couple weeks ago and I've been trying to trying to catch a big brown, trying to catch some more steelhead and stuff because they're running really hard right now. And then this winter, I plan on getting on the ice. We have Oneida Lake, which is full of perch and walleye and all that good stuff. So hopefully I can find some of those. No, definitely a lot of good fishing opportunities out here too. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised to hear you bring up those bluegills. I was like, man, New York's got to have so much cool fish up there. Man, you know, there are, but I haven't been able to find any big bluegills. Like all I've caught are five to six inches and they're skinny and everywhere in iowa man you know you got those seven to nine inches maybe even some 10 inches and they're fat and they're mean and they fight so hard i just i'm I'm sure they're up here somewhere but they were everywhere in iowa which i i definitely miss true so what's what's the new species that you enjoy targeting up there because i know you've been catching like those trouts and salmons up there oh yeah yeah i uh the salmon thing was fun, but they they don't always bite. A lot of the time, you're kind of just trying to snag them in the mouth. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so that gets old kind of quick. Um, the, the first one I caught, I mean, that my first day out fishing for them when I hooked up a bunch, they, uh, they were definitely biting. I wasn't snagging them that day. They were biting. But as the spawn progresses and those fish aren't as fresh you know they're not fresh from the lake they start to get kind of nasty they don't really want to eat anymore um so i, I kind of got over the salmon thing pretty quick i'm really on the the steelhead and brown trout train right now i got out last weekend and i sucked i i wasn't i caught a couple of kings but they were they were basically dead so that wasn't much fun a guy i was with caught 
like four Browns and four steelhead. And one of the Browns was like 29 inches. Another, another steelhead was about the same. I mean, he was, he was slaying them. So really that's kind of what I'm looking for, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to ice season two and trying to figure out these walleyes because Oneida Lake is supposed to be full of them. And I've got live and I've got live scope now. So yeah, yeah. big. (laughs) You were selling, you were selling all your stuff. Uh, when you were uh, back here in Iowa last season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah trying to liquidate, man. <laughs> LiveScope was not cheap, so. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not. but uh, I knew I was going to buy it sometime, and I figured I might as well bite the bullet and uh, start using it at least, so. I wanted to ask you, because I don't know, uh, do you know much about the salmon run? Like, to somebody who doesn't really know, um, you know, how they – they do the spawn and then they they actually die at the end and everything because some people don't know that they're just you know because um some people just don't know anything about salmon like i barely know a little bit i just know that 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 happens and can you you don't mind can you explaining that a little bit just so people who are like salmon salmon you know because they think you talk to people about salmon they don't really know much about it but they are intrigued about it but i I hear about the salmon run all the time yeah yeah so salmon are uh they're anadromous, so they, you know, they spend most of their life in big water, uh, either lakes or salt water, until it's time to reproduce. Mm-hmm. And then they run to these these rivers with some flow to um, to spawn. And so, come they're fall spawners. Uh, steelhead spawn in the spring, and I guess they don't die every year. So these fall spawning salmon, they they run in from Lake Ontario into the tributaries, start running up as far as they can. There's dams everywhere, so typically they they end up getting stopped by a dam. There are some fish ladders that they can pass, uh, but salmon reproduction here in New York is pretty limited. There's a lot of, a lot of stocking that goes on, uh, but those fish still run. They still try to spawn and the salmon run. I want to say, you know, it starts in mid to late September, just depending on temperatures and flows and stuff like that. Uh, And then it goes on, you'll see salmon into November and stuff. But by that point, they're starting to get pretty nasty. But yeah, basically, they they spawn in the tributaries, they run up and and try to spawn. As soon as they're done spawning, they, they die and there's, there's dead rotting salmon everywhere. So it's kind of a kind of a weird life history. But that's the way it is. Threw me for I'm telling you, it threw me for a loop when I looked into it. I was like, I forgot. I looked into. I heard about it, uh, and I looked at. It, I was like, "What? What do you mean they spawn and they just die?" I mean, they, they don't like. It's so weird. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah, they die. It's kind of a. It's kind of a weird deal. And I mean, there's you know some places there's so many salmon that spawn and die that you know it it leads to changes in nutrient cycling and all sorts of stuff because you just have so many darn fish that are decaying at the same time. It's 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 a crazy deal, man. Yeah. So they're cool. Um. I, you know, you kind of got to fish for them early if you actually want to fish for them and not just snag them. You know, they're they're fun when you snag them too, but it's it's not the same. Exactly, exactly. When I think of salmon, I think of like the ocean fish, and I think of sushi. Can you use like a <laughs> can you use like a Great Lake uh, salmon for sushi, or is I don't know what what's up with that? Hey, yeah. hey, I had to stop. This not, had nothing to do with that we're Asian, by the way. <laughs> but Kit, that was awesome, Kit. Well, I love sushi, and my favorite fish for sushi is And salmon. I do, too. But I just want to spit that out because I want to know, too. <laughs> you, you like salmon better than tuna? I do. It's fattier. That's why I like it more. I, 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 I agree, too, yeah. Fair point. Um, I would not use I would not use Great Lakes salmon. Okay. It's uh, – uh, a lot of people, a lot of people call them mud sharks. They're, uh, oh. yeah, they're they're not something you really want to eat, anyways. So you know the Great Lakes and a lot of the tributaries and stuff up here suffered a lot during the Industrial Revolution. So there's a lot of contaminants and stuff in the water. Yeah, and you know, real really places up here, like I mean, I mean, there's been a lot of good efforts to help clean up our waterways, help clean up our lakes. Like things are getting better. The fish are getting cleaner. But that doesn't change the fact that they're still kind of full of PCBs and other nasty stuff you don't want to eat too much of. So um, I definitely wouldn't make sushi with them. You, you, you can eat them. You can eat them. You just kind of have to watch how much you eat. I think for an adult male and women over 60, you can have like a meal a month or something like that. So it's so I mean, it's it's pretty restrictive. And that's for those 
those larger bodied fish, like your steelheads and browns and stuff, some of the stuff that doesn't live as long and doesn't accumulate as much of those PCBs and mercury and whatever else, like perch, panfish, whatever, you can you can eat those and not feel too bad about it. But um, right, right, the salmon up here are not are not the nice salmon fillets you see when you go to the the seafood <laughs> department at Hy-Vee. You know, they're not they're not so nice and pink and delicious. They're they're okay. You know, if you smoke them, if you prep them right, they're not bad. I have some smoked yeah. salmon in the freezer I need to crack into. And if you're going to eat them, you want to eat the fresh ones. You want to get them early because the right, salmon right, right. I caught this last week, you would not want to put in your mouth. Gotcha. I'll tell you that. Makes sense. No, it makes sense. I think the salmon that you're talking about, though, Kit, is out there. Like, because I, I, we caught them uh, when I went deep sea fishing when I used to live in California in the Bay Area. That's the type of salmon that we, you would do. We did sashimi and all that sushi stuff with Kit. So, um, but yeah, I, I've seen the one that uh, Ravi was talking about. It doesn't look appetizing. That fish. I'm not gonna lie. I've seen the fish. It, it doesn't look appetizing. I, I think you. Do you have? I think you have a picture, right? Did you post up recently? Yeah, yeah. I posted one yeah. on Facebook, and that's the yeah. thing. That's a fresh one too. They oh, get. Boy. Oh yeah, they yeah. they get nasty, man. They get yeah. pretty gross. They're they're a fun fight, but uh, I don't think I'm ever gonna keep another one. <laughs> I mean, I, this, the steelhead eat fine. The browns eat okay too. I wouldn't make sushi with them, but you know, smoked or whatever, they're they're pretty good eating. Okay yeah yeah gotcha. no, that's 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 a good question that's definitely a good question yeah so, i was when i was in iowa i was kind of like oh man i'm gonna come out here and just eat salmon four times a week and be living the dream and it's like oh i don't want to do that actually <laughs> never, never mind what, what you got out there like nope this is not what yeah. i was thinking <laughs> exactly exactly oh man that's funny i guess you know being up there now you can kind of see how the muskies react and also the walleyes react i mean how different are they in regards to temperament characteristic are they up there versus out down here in iowa yeah you know that's one <laughs> I'll have to come on with you guys again at some point, like okay. after next spring. And, and, and I can probably answer that question for you. So I started in August and our field work kind of wrapped up like late September, mid October, somewhere around there. So I haven't, I haven't even seen an adult walleye or muskie since I got up here. I've seen, I've seen like a dozen young a year muskies. So those fish are like five to eight inches somewhere in that range. But uh, I, I'm sure the behavior is different. You know, it's, it's a big river. It's a big system. Those fish move a ton. It, I mean, it's inevitable. They move a ton and there's also a ton of vegetation up here. So I'm interested to see how they, how they interact with the veg. Cause there's a, I mean, all the bays and stuff are just full of it. It's, it's absolutely crazy, but there's also a lot of deep water and it's really clear water. So I'm assuming those fish are using deeper water than they do in big Creek and brushy Creek. I mean, brushy Creek's clear, but, uh, you know, those fish would still use pretty shallow water here. You got on, on a good day, you got 20, 25 foot of visibility. So yeah, I mean, if that, if that fish is in shallow water, you're going to see it. It's not going to want to be there. So there's, there's guys trolling for walleye out here with lead core line and whatnot trolling in 70, 80 feet of water. So, uh, <laughs> I know it's totally foreign to me, man. It's, it's, it sounds crazy, but, um, yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Sorry. Cool. No, no, no. Cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Is there, is there any uh, like white bass or how's the crappie fishing up there too? Ah, man. Two things I'm going to miss, Kit. Oh. Two things I'm going to miss. Oh. There's there's not white bass. There's not yellow bass. There's there's white perch in some of the systems, which I've never caught one of those. We had them in Kansas. They're kind of a, they're kind of a nuisance species in Kansas at least, but uh, they get pretty big up here. So I'm going to see if I can find some of those at some point. As far as crappies go, there's some around and, and I know they get big. I mean, my boss and some of my coworkers have told me about 15, 16 inches. Yeah. So, so nice fish, but they're all black crappie up here. There's no, uh. no whites. I don't think. And I don't think they're anywhere near as numerous as they were in Iowa. So yeah, I'm going to miss that. I love my crappies too, but, I, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can find some big perch to make up for it. Yeah. Yeah. I heard New York's got some pretty good perch. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was one thing. I, I wasn't very good at catching the the smallies on the St. Lawrence when I was up at the field station, but I was, I was able to find the perch. Okay. You know, I was able to get, go out and get a dinner and a bag of fish to freeze if I wanted to, to keep some fish. So there's, there's a lot of perch to go around. You see a lot more people fishing out there due to COVID? I, I, I'm interested to see, I mean, I got out here at a time where 
things were kind of starting to wind down in terms of the tourism and fishing. Um, but I've heard that like opening day for smallmouth and stuff, cause there's closed seasons here. So that's totally new to me too. Yeah. So smallmouth, I think opens in like mid to late April. And I've heard that the smallmouth opener, or I guess the black bass opener is just absolutely ridiculous. Our, our, our Island, our field stations based on there'll be boats basically just around the entire Island. But my boss got 30 smallmouth off of the dock on opening day this year. So, I mean, it's, you know, there's people fishing there for a reason. It, it definitely gets a lot of pressure. Um, I would assume it's been getting some more because of COVID, definitely. But I, I guess I don't, I don't know that for sure. When I got up here, things, yeah, things have been kind of slow. So. so I don't really know the geography of New York. How far away from the ocean are you? Is it like the other side of the state? Yeah, basically. Um, uh. I think, uh, man, honestly, I'd have to look it up too, kid. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of new here too. I want to say I'm like seven and a half or eight hours from New York City. Oh, okay. So I'm, a, I'm a little ways out, but um, Syracuse, you know, you got Lake Ontario, which is about an hour away, um, and then the St. Lawrence River is closer to two hours. But there's, there's a lot of big water nearby, just not necessarily salt water. Nah. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, one of the grad students working in the lab I work for up here is from Massachusetts and he has been telling me all sorts of stories about fishing for stripers and all sorts of stuff on the coast so I'm hoping I can get out and chase those at some point it'd be a lot yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. that's what I wanted to get into like the, the stripers like, yeah the stripers yeah you'll have to get up here I'll talk to him <laughs> you gotta you gotta fly fish for him though oh that'd be be amazing (laughs) like i said man i have a hard enough time catching fish regularly man and fly fishing i I, man i don't know if i can pick that up it's just so it's just like gonna be brand new obviously yeah Yeah. i i I remember how that was when i first started it was it was pretty ugly i don't know man there's days there's days now where i think the fly rod out fish is the spinning gear really oh yeah I, I mean, it's it's not often. I think I'm definitely more effective with spinning gear, um, for sure. But there's there's some days, some situations where that that fly rod and some of those small bugs and stuff you can just present so carefully. I think uh, I think the fly rod can outfish the spinning rod sometimes. Yeah, yeah and it's just it's just a different feeling too. I don't know. I, I enjoy it a lot, but I got spinning rods and bait casters and stuff on the wall here. I got ice fishing gear over there. I got stuff everywhere. So I just enjoy it all. Yeah, I, I feel like you kind of went down a fly fishing rabbit hole because you're tying your own flies and all that stuff. Yeah, I uh you know I've I've I started fly tying when I was working on my bachelor's. But I didn't get real serious until, man, probably when I started fishing muskies. Because I really wanted to get a muskie on the fly rod in Iowa. It, it didn't happen. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I started getting into tying some of those more intricate flies, like some 8 to 10 inch streamers that are articulated and stuff. Then when COVID happened, I basically started tying every night. So I've, yeah, I mean, you can't really see people. So it's just like, well, I'm just going to watch Netflix and tie flies. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the fly boxes are overflowing now. I, uh, I've i been tying a bunch. I got my vice set up right here behind me. I tied a bunch. We're going on a fishing trip this weekend. I tied like 40 egg sucking leeches. And I, I actually tied some saltwater flies for a guy yesterday. So I'm I'm starting to, I've definitely gotten more into the, uh, the fly fishing side of things. I enjoy it a lot. So yeah, I, I saw some of your pictures of your, uh, fly ties. I'm like, dang man. Yeah. It was, it was pretty nice. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. I'm like, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not perfect. They're not the best, but they are a lot better than they were a year ago. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You can't beat that, man. You ever gonna come back to Iowa, man? Visit? I want to, I want to get back to the Midwest. I, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Kansas. I went to Iowa. I I visited places here and there throughout my first 25 years or whatever, but I uh, I couldn't really pass up the opportunity to move to New York and yeah. just see some sights and kind of see what a different style of living is like in a different part of the country. And the job I'm working now is typically like a two to three year deal. It's not permanent. Mm. It's not permanent by any means. So um I was just happy to have a job offer during COVID. So so I took it and I'm out here and I'm happy. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think I want to get back to the Midwest. Iowa's great. 
Kansas is great. Um, I really enjoy Minnesota and Wisconsin as well. They're great states. So yeah, you know, I, I, I think I do want to get back out that way. I actually saw a job posting for a biologist job in Kansas like yesterday and it looked like a pretty sweet gig and it's like oh man like <laughs> I, mean, I, I can't I can't bail on my job here that'd be such a terrible thing to do um right but, but I'm hoping in a, in a couple of years there's an opportunity somewhere in the midwest and I can get back out that way we gotta get out there one time, though. Okay, we gotta get out to the Northeast when Ooh, we get a yeah, chance. That's a journey. It's a journey, but I mean, I'm hoping. Hours. I'm hoping once the the girls are a little bit bigger, a little more self sufficient, I I can get out, travel a little bit further in regards to fishing wise, like you know, states and stuff. Because I gotta take advantage of that if I can. So yeah, well, yeah. If you want to chase some of those big salmon or steelhead or browns, man, New York's a great place to do it. I would uh. If you're on a limited time schedule, I'd say definitely hire a guide. Without a guide, you're kind of just going to flounder and it might be a wasted yeah. trip. But uh, there's definitely some crazy opportunities out here. There's there's a lot of big fish. How far away are you from Toronto? Ooh, I don't know, to be honest okay, with I you. I think I'm like four hours from Niagara Falls. I don't okay. know if that clears anything up. The reason why I asked that is because we had Taro on uh, our podcast. I don't, I don't know if you know Taro. You had Taro? Taro Murata. Oh, oop, you had Taro? So it don't matter because his episode is going to come out first anyway. So yeah, we did. Yeah, well, last week we we had him on, but yeah, it'll, it's going to air before yours airs. Yeah, it'll air before yours. How'd you get him on, man? He's cool. I watched him on a uh, thirty nine hours. Yeah, see, oh yeah, he's awesome. That's so dude, cool. Dude yeah. is wild. Yeah, he's wild. He's, he's, so, he's crazy. He's crazy, but man, you can't deny that energy. He loves it exactly. And you know, a lot of people are like, "He's the way." <laughs> is he that that way in real life? Yeah, he is. He really is. And he didn't even need beer. That's a crazy thing. He's just the way he is without beer, man. So. He didn't drink. Didn't drink beer at all. Nope, nope he doesn't drink, man. So just 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 uh, fishing fanatics. I guess yeah. yeah he was he, he's pretty cool but uh yeah he he lives in toronto so i in that area so that's why i was asking because if we ever did get out there we might as well make a you know real trip of it and get him because he's a guy that's what he does for a living you know oh, like yeah. you're just saying so that's why oh that's cool man i'll have to uh man i'm looking forward to watching that one that'll be awesome yeah it was pretty fun man so yeah, yeah we got a few in the pipeline sorry we, we'll, we'll let you in on a few secrets on that one so we'll, we'll let you know about that one we just did that one recently so that was pretty cool that's awesome yeah anything else kid man man i'm i'm awesome dude we gotta get robbie back for sure like he was saying um after i think spring uh for sure we got to get him back on so we can learn a little bit more about the muskies and the walleyes up there but i know you wanted to pick robbie's brain all night long man what else you got for him man i think we hit like most of the things i wanted to talk about when we're kind of rolling near the end I just try to try to see what what our guest is up to. Like, so if people want to reach out to you, how can they get a hold of you? And what do you got coming up? Like, you know, what's what's Robbie's next next move? What's my next move? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know that I've really had people try to get a hold of me before. Oh, you will after this. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I guess I can give you guys my email and phone number or whatever. And yeah, if, if people want to talk about my research here, my research back there, fish fishing, whatever. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it all. So um, yeah, I can get you guys my contact info, I guess, to include in the comments or whatever in the description. My next move, well, I'm back in back in town for the winter. So basically just a lot of computer work, working on data entry, quality control, writing reports, organizing databases, all that fun stuff. Yeah. But uh, oh, so exciting. You could you could tell I'm really excited. Um yep. no, this but this winter I'll have some opportunities to get out in the field. Um we're doing some we do muskrat surveys. So um I'm gonna help lead that. I don't really know what all that entails, but it'll be a learning experience. Uh, and then come early spring, we'll be right back at it doing our immigration netting for northern pike. So, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff coming up for sure. But yeah, right now just kind of either sitting behind a computer screen or working on boats or trailers, just shutting things down for the year. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So. Cool, so, man, man. It was awesome, dude. I, I had a lot of fun. I definitely going to have you back on I learned a lot. I want to learn some more from you. Um, I'm definitely excited to hear, you know, how, what you find out actually from your research in regards to, uh, the muskies and, and the walleyes and everything. So I'm pretty excited just to see, I want to see the difference. Like, you know, like you were saying, like they, they have to act differently. You know? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, we've got a, yeah. one of the research projects going on in the lab right now, you know, it's, 
it's kind of still in the early stages of development, so we don't know exactly where it's going, but um, it could involve some acoustic telemetry. Like I discussed, what's going to be going on at Big Creek and Brushy. Mm-hmm. So acoustic telemetry, but on the St. Lawrence River with a variety of game species. So um, cool. definitely might have some interesting movement data to talk about with you guys at some point. It's not my data, so I probably won't have all kinds of crazy insight like I do for Big Creek and Brushy. But um, yeah, hopefully I can come back with something valuable next time. You, no, you, you did this time too, man. So thank you so much, man. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your wisdom, brother. So just keep grinding out there, right? Awesome. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Robbie.